0: Caleb, congratulations, we are proud of you, amen, amen. we rejoice in that decision you have made, and that verse, I just read that text last night, and uh, I think it's a beautiful verse, and I know that in your young life you've gone through many trials that many of us have not had to go through, so what, a, what an effective verse, and praise the Lord that, that you've already learned to, uh, to lean on Jesus, so we praise the Lord for that. And, uh, of course, his parents and his grandparents have done a good job with him, and so we praise the Lord for that decision. I'm a little bit worried about you all, though, and I'll tell you why. The most intense response we received throughout this entire service is when Mark said he didn't like mayonnaise. I think some people maybe are eating a little too many mayonnaise. <laughs> so, Ann, Welcome home. Steve, you got her back from England. Good for you. We're glad to have you, Anne, here with us. The Bible is a great storybook, and we're going to tell a lot of stories today, and we're going to talk a lot about stories today. You know, the Bible, if it were a fiction book, it would be a bestseller. I mean, just some of the stories in it are, are incredible. Um, but that it is true it is what makes it even more amazing. The writers, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, bring us into the lives of the Bible characters. Not just giving us the vague details, but, but they, share with us, they share with us their words. And then beyond their words, they share with us their inward emotions. They share with us their fears and their desires and, 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 and the turmoil that they're going through. We know their hopes and their dreams. We know every aspect of the story in many cases. The Bible writers give us colorful histories of many individuals that, that we follow literally from birth all the way through their death. People like Jacob and Isaac and, and Solomon and, and, of course, Jesus. In many of these, lives, these individuals' lives, there's nothing hidden. All of it is out there for us to see. The Bible writers who the Holy Spirit inspired, could have just written out the principles. They could have just written out the principles and the rules and the, and the instructions for life. They could have said, point A, point B, point B, point C, point D, do these things, the end. They could have done it in that way. All of us know, though, that that's not really the most effective way of communicating anything. I don't know about you, but when, when I've come to new jobs, so when I came to the Chesapeake Conference or when I was in the Central California Conference or the Georgia Cumberland Conference, each conference has their own manual, their own handbook in which they want you to read. And each conference has given you a piece of paper that you're supposed to sign to indicate that you've read it. I think they know intuitively that this is not going to be the thing you're going to pick up first for enjoyable reading, right? And so they have to kind of hold you posted your integrity and make sure you you sign that thing. Why? Because it's just this list of don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this. But there's something about stories that that help us to understand things. With stories, principles and lessons become life. they, They have context and meaning to them. Why? Because it is always easier to understand something through a story. People can empathize with Rachel when she is unable to have children. The Bible doesn't have to tell us that, that, that if you're going through this hard time to, to pray or to call upon the Lord. We see that in the story of Rachel. We can rejoice with Rachel when, when finally she does have a child, Joseph. And we can remember the, the special gift of that first child in our own lives as well. Unfortunately, we also relate to the stories of, of those who are greedy or those who have committed adultery or those who... who who have cheated in some way or stolen something in some way. No one has to tell us that these things are wrong. We, we intuitively pick this up through the aspect of the story. Brothers who are jealous or spoiled siblings, we, we read the story and Jesus, or the, the Holy Spirit doesn't inspire at the end of the story and say, now don't be jealous of your siblings. It doesn't need to say that because the story itself conveys that principle and that message. The Bible is a book of stories that helps us to understand things about these individuals so that we can better understand ourselves as well and ultimately the story of Jesus Christ and his love. None of this should surprise us though since Jesus himself, who is the living word, Jesus himself was a storyteller. When Jesus wanted people to understand something, he would oftentimes tell them a story, things we call Parables. Sometimes Jesus acted out stories. He 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 performed almost this live action drama when Jesus went into the temple and, and turned over all the tables and, and scattered everything about. Jesus wasn't simply just showing his anger or his frustration with the moment. He was actually conveying a deeper message, a greater lesson. Stories help us to understand principles for ourselves, but they also help us to understand people. And how to relate to those people. Oftentimes when Jesus was speaking to someone, he would refer to something in their life. He would refer to some aspect of their story in order to help them understand the story that he wanted to share with them of his love for them. If you turn to John chapter 4, you'll see this. John chapter 4 beginning in verse 5. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John chapter 4. Beginning in verse five, the Bible tells us, so Jesus came to a town of Samaria called Sicar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So Jesus begins to have a discussion with this woman about water. Then he springs something on her, he surprises her with something. John chapter 4 and verse 16. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Jesus knew this woman's story. And in knowing and understanding this woman's story, he knew how to relate to her in a personal and intentional and practical way. He was able to to witness to her in a way that would, would, would poignantly touch her heart and minister to her life. He used her own story to teach her the story of his love for her. Knowing a person's story, folks, can be one of the greatest assets in witnessing to an individual. We're doing a little three-part series called Living in 3D, and last week we talked about our need to develop friendships, our need to develop friendships, that, that, that one of the most effective ways to be a witness for Jesus is to be a, a friend with them. People will listen to us more if we're their friends. If you walk up to someone on the street and you say, man, I love you, and I want to tell you about someone who loves you, they may punch you in the face, right? I mean, they'll think you're a weirdo, or they'll run the opposite direction. But if they know you already, if you have a friendship or a relationship, when you tell them about Jesus and his story, they'll be more likely to listen. Well, another way to be an effective witness for Jesus is to discover people's stories, to learn other people's stories this is important because too often in 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 life as christians i think we can drive people away when we just go in guns blazing wanting to to show them we're right and and going full throttle into the setting i want to tell you that i've struggled with this at times in my life not not waiting to relate to someone but just running straight in wanting to prove my point, wanting to make sure that they knew that I was right. Christine and I were down in Adairsville, Adairsville as we call it, down in, a, in northwest Georgia, and I was pastoring down there, and one Sabbath afternoon, this was before, before kids, Christine and I went out together and we were knocking on doors, asking people if they had any prayer requests, just going from door to door asking if we could pray for the various couples in the neighborhood. And we got to the door of this one young couple, and they were coming out just as we were approaching their door. There were a couple of real estate agents we found out. They worked for GMAC, and they were on their way to go show a house that they had. And we shared with them uh, what we were doing. And and when we shared with them what we were doing, this couple got really excited. They thought that was so great that, that there was people going around the neighborhood inviting or asking others if, if they could pray for them or if they had prayer requests. So they were really excited. They said, oh, that's, that's so great. We're Christians. We love that you're, you're doing this. And they asked us, they said, what church are you from? And we said to them, we're, we're Seventh-day Adventists. The man, the man said, uh, immediately got excited. He said, oh, I just re- recently met a Seventh-day Adventist. They're such great people. He said, I love that you, that you keep the Sabbath. He goes, our pastor tells us that we all ought to keep a Sabbath. My pastor, he keeps Monday as Sabbath. I should have just smiled. I should have just smiled and said, we all need the Sabbath and left it at that. Or I should have said, isn't it great that Jesus wants to give us rest? I should have just left it at that, but I didn't. I immediately shot back. Well, I believe rest is always good, but when it comes to Sabbath, I really believe that only Saturday is actually the Sabbath there was no time to explain or to have a discussion all this happened in a matter of moments on the front porch they're coming out we're going up hi my name's Chad this is my wife Christina we're just going around the neighborhoods praying for people do you have anything oh that's so great you're praying for people we're Christians too what church are you from oh we're Seventh-day Adventists oh Seventh-day Adventists we just met the nicest Seventh-day Adventists Oh, You guys keep Sabbath, that's so great. My pastor, he says we should all keep a Sabbath. He keeps Monday a Sabbath. Oh, that's great that, that, uh, that, that, you, that you believe in rest. Yes, we all need rest. But you know what? Saturday is a Sabbath. And it effectively shut down the conversation. It effectively just closed the conversation. As we were walking away, Christina, in the way that only she can, pointed out to me, that that was not very intelligent of me. (laughs) Of course, I got defensive in my young ideological state. I had to make the point. This may be the only time. But she was right. I didn't know this man at all or his wife. What if the pastor was his spiritual mentor? What if the pastor had been the one that led him to Jesus, and I just basically said, he's wrong? What if this man and his wife were new Christians still early in their journey with Christ, and now a Christian was tearing down another Christian. I did not know this man or his wife's story. I didn't know the context of what he said that in. What if I had just said, I would love to talk to you more sometime? Or what if I had said, hey, can my wife and I take you out to eat sometime? I'd love to hear about how you keep the Sabbath. What if I had said something of that nature? Something to keep the conversation going. If I'd been humble and chosen to learn their story, I could have lived to witness another day. But effectively, my witness was done. I want to bring to mind the quote I read last week from, from the book Evangelism from Ellen White, where she says, do not make prominent those features of the message which are a condemnation of the customs and the practices of the people until they have the opportunity to know that we are believers in Christ. Part of helping people to know we are believers in Christ. Part of giving us the opportunity to tell the wonderful story of Jesus and his love is by learning other people's stories. We don't have the divine insight that Jesus has into other people's stories. And so we have to be willing to listen, to open our ears and our minds, and to be able to listen to what they are saying. We can learn through other people's stories how to most effectively tell them the greatest story of all. I don't always get it wrong, though, by the grace of God. Sometimes I actually get it right, and I want to tell you about one of those times and then share with you a couple practical, practical points you can use when discovering people's stories. When I know I'm going someplace where I may have the opportunity to witness, I. I I say this very, very deep prayer. I want you to to listen and write this down so that you make sure you get the depth of this. I say, Lord, if you want me to talk to someone, let me know. Isn't that deep? That's, That's really complex, isn't it? It's that simple, folks. I know sometimes we think we have to go through all this training. But really, Lord, if you want me to talk to someone, let me know well i happen to be flying from the east uh to the west and one of the places i r- regularly get the opportunity to talk to people is on the airplane anyone else have those experiences um you know for some reason people are just more open uh on airplanes but i was actually there and uh, i had uh lay or i had stayed in chicago for a night and had some things going on there and then i was getting on the plane early in the morning in chicago and flying west and so I got to the airport early at 5 a.m. and I said the prayer that I always pray, Lord, if you want me to talk to someone, let me know. And while I was still there in the airport, the Lord let me know. It was this amazing, amazing thing. And, and I was so excited about it. But I'd, I'd gone through my routine. I'll tell you that story another time. Sorry, that's a different story that I'm not even gonna tell you today. you just have to keep coming back every week or else you'll miss it. One of these days it'll pop up. But when I go to the airport, I have this routine. So I have this, this, this routine. I get my ticket, I go through the security area, and then I find one of those little stores, usually Hudson booksellers. I go into the store, I buy a, one pack of Trident gum, regular flavor, the dark blue pack, and not the one with the plastic foil, but the one that flips open like this. Just so you know, it's very very particular about this. I buy a bottle of water, big water. It used to be Dasani, now it's Smart Water, Fuji water, or Fiji water and usually i buy two magazines lately i've been buying fast company and some sort of running magazine but that day i didn't have a running magazine i had a different one i'll tell you about in a minute so i was flying west out of chicago and i had this great experience there in the airport where i had a great opportunity to speak on behalf of jesus with uh with an individual and it was so amazing and i was just so excited and i said you know what i've done my witness for the day And I was so worn out from from the thrill of that experience that from Chicago to Salt Lake City, I slept the entire time. Probably snored my way through the flight. And I thought, well, I've done my witnessing for the day. I got my nap for the day. And then I got on the airplane in Salt Lake City to fly on to Ontario, California and I was flying on to Ontario, and when I got into the plane, I sat down in my seat, and I thought, okay, now's the time that I can read my magazines that I bought back in Chicago, and I I pulled out my magazine. I I was a good golfer at the time. I'm a hack now, and I say that because I never play, so I'm assuming I'm a hack, but I pulled out my my magazine. I had a Golf Digest, and I put it there on my lap, and I began to to read through my magazine. I was sitting in the middle seat, and there was a gentleman on uh, the right of me, this was before the days that I knew you could request a seat. Now I like to sit on the aisle, but, but I was in the middle, which was already kind of frustrating. I just wanted to be left alone and to read my magazine. And there's this gentleman sitting on the right to me at the window, and he said, so do you like golf? And I didn't really even look up, because obviously I have a magazine here. I'm reading. There's a golf magazine. So I just said, yep. Then that still small voice said to me, Chad, you are not done for today. You said to let you know. I'm letting you know so I kind of pause and I said okay hopefully Lord you'll make this a quick conversation (laughs) don't pretend like you don't know what I'm talking about (laughs) I know some of you that pray this prayer Lord please don't let anyone talk to me while I'm on this airplane (laughs) don't lie you do So I said, Lord, we'll make this a quick conversation. So I left my magazine open on my lap and left it there on my lap. And I, I said, so do you like golf? And he said, it's all right. I'm not very good at it, though. It's a tough sport. Or I'm not very good at it, though. And I said, yeah, it's a, it's a tough sport. And then it was silent. I thought, okay, God, I tried. There you go. So I picked my magazine back up, and I began to read through my magazine again. And then the gentleman said, what I really like is baseball. I'm like, okay, God, I get it. So I closed the magazine and I turned to the gentleman and I said, I love baseball too. And so for the next 10 minutes, we talked about baseball. Turns out his son played minor league baseball for the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks. But he said, but he's going to take a year off because he's going on a Mormon mission. And then he thinks about, and the, the, he said the Diamondbacks are willing to freeze his contract for a year so that he can come back and play. I said, well, that's good. He said, well, I don't know if he's going to play. He wants to be a lawyer, and he wants to help the church out. And he's talking about how, but he's like, I would like him to stay, stick with baseball, but, but he thinks he'll be able to be home more with his family and help the church more if he's, if he's a lawyer. And so he's telling me about these things. Well, then I shared with him, I said, oh, well, I wanted to be a lawyer when I was younger, but... but uh, other things happened in my life, and plans changed, and I did something else. Then I decided I would ask him about being a Mormon. I said, "So, so, how do you like being a Mormon?" I said, "My dad went to Brigham Young University, and I used to live in Provo, Utah." I said, "How do you like being a Mormon?" He goes, "Oh, I'm not a Mormon. I'm not a Mormon." I said, "Oh, okay. Uh, sorry about that." And he said, and then he went into a semi-controlled rant on Mormonism. I say semi-controlled because there were some some choice words we'll choose not to say here in church um within that rant then his rant turned from mormonism to all religion and he began to tell me about his christian upbringing and how he thought christianity and and religion in general were were pretty awful and he just told me he just laid out these things so so i sat there and listened to this man uh sharing all these things and at the end of it i thought to myself now may not be the right time to let him know that i'm a pastor So I decided I would change the subject off of religion, and I say to this man, I say, "So, what do you do for a living?" And and he said, um, he said, "Well, actually, I turns out this guy sitting and coach with me is a multimillionaire who owned who owned a major uh, uh, water bottling or bottle water distribution company that distributed Arrowhead water and all these other waters there." in Southern California, and he was going to visit one of his plants, a new plant that he was opening there in the Southern California region. We talked on this for a while because I, am, I'm, I really love bottled water. And, uh, and then he asked me afterwards, which is the reciprocal question, which I didn't think about when I asked him what he did. He asked me, so what do you do? And I have to admit, for one second, I thought about lying. I thought to myself, I could say I work with people. (laughs) It's true. It's true. I decided to tell him because this was definitely a God conversation. I said, "I'm a pastor." He looked at me a little shocked, a little embarrassed. It's always fun to do that on the golf course too, like around 14th hole to say, "Oh, by the way, I'm a pastor." It's always a fun moment. Suddenly the cursing and the club throwing all diminishes. But he looked at me a, a little shocked, a little embarrassed, and he said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry for the stuff I said. I told him, no, no problem. I said, it actually didn't bother me. And I told him, this. I said, I think religion oftentimes misrepresents God. I said, to be honest with you, the rules don't really bother me, but when I was younger, rules did really bother me. I said, in my church, there's some rules that, you know, you were talking about the Mormon church. I said, in my church, there's some rules that people think are really weird. I said, in fact, there's some rules that I keep that I think are kind of weird, too. But, but I do it. I, I understand them. But too often, I said, we put these rules ahead of people, and people get hurt. He nodded and seemed to agree, and so I decided to, to keep going. But I said, but the rules, after we have a relationship with God or the closer I've grown to God, I said, the rules don't bother me nearly as much. He didn't disagree, so I so I kept going. I said, It sounds to me like like the rules were put before you when you were a kid growing up. And he had told me also about how he didn't get to go into his son's wedding because of the rules on the Mormon temple and, and all these things, and he was very upset about this. And I said, It sounds like the rules were 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 were, were put ahead of you growing up and, and in your life. And he was agreeing. And I said, but that doesn't necessarily make the rules bad, does it? That more makes the people who misuse those rules bad. He so said, yeah, that's, that's probably true. So we kept going, and I went on and kept talking to him. When I was done, it was silent for a second. I thought, okay, well, maybe I've kind of worn out my welcome, so I'll just sit quietly, and, and, and we'll be landing in just about half an hour. We'll be good. But in fact, the opposite began to happen. He began to ask me all kinds of questions And for the next half hour, we had this conversation about Jesus and how I viewed the things of God and different things. Right before we landed, he asked me, so what church church are you a part of? And I said to him, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. He said, oh, I've heard of them. They go to church on Saturday, right? I said, yes. He said, I'm okay with that. I said, well, that's good. I'm glad, glad you're okay with that. And I thought that was the end of the conversation, but... Just before we got off the plane, as I was putting my magazine and we were taxiing into the, uh, into the gate, the gentleman said, well, if you ever come to be a pastor in Salt Lake City, let me know and I'll become a member of your church. I said, well, I appreciate that. I told him I'd be praying for his business and his travels and for his son. Shook his hand. We said goodbye and I got off the plane. Now, some people would say you know you you failed in this in this encounter there are times in my life that i might have said that i failed i didn't pray with him specifically i didn't i didn't tell him the steps the journey in order to accept jesus i didn't give him the name and the address well i did give him the name i told him that uh, christina's aunt was the head elder at the wasatch hills church there in salt lake city but i didn't give him the address of the nearest avenue church i didn't teach him about the state of the dead, although we did talk about hell, and I told him Seventh-day Adventists don't believe in an eternal hell, and he goes, oh man, I think that's great, because a God who burns people forever is horrible, and I'm like, yeah, I'm with you there, brother, and uh, so we we had a connection there, but I didn't do some of these things. I don't know if he loves Jesus more. I don't know if he started going to church. I don't know if he ever sought out uh, a group of Adventists, I may never see him again. But, but when I walked away from this encounter, I truly knew that the Holy Spirit had led each aspect of this engagement. First of all, and there's some things I want us to, to learn from this story. The first story as well, but to learn from this story. First of all, the Spirit led. I didn't even wanna have the conversation, to be honest. I wanted to read my golf digest. I had already done my tithing witness for the day. You know, I'd already affected one person's life, I was good to go, but God had other plans, so the Holy Spirit led and opened the door, and, and every, when I pray, Lord, if you want me to talk to someone, let me know, and God lets me know, the best thing is to step through that door, and so I stepped through that door. And I wanna tell you this, folks, if you think, how can I be a witness for God? You know, I really struggle, I haven't had the education, I haven't done this, it's, it's really that simple. If you get up every morning and you say, Lord, If you want me to talk to someone today, let me know. He will let you know. Think of the story of Zacchaeus. Jesus was walking by a tree. He was walking by a tree, and the Spirit prompted Jesus to stop and to look up in that tree, and not only to see a short man with short character, but to see a child of God. It was just a walk Jesus was going on through a city, and yet the Spirit stopped him and prompted him. If you ask Jesus to stop and prompt you on a daily basis, he will do so, he will do so. I'm jealous of many of you, many of you spend most of your days with people that that may not know Jesus yet or may not have a complete picture of Jesus. Most of my life is spent with you all and while I love you all, I'm jealous of the opportunities that you may have every single day to interact with people that are far from God. What a great privilege that is to have conversations to learn people's stories, and to witness to them. The second thing that happened is I responded in this airplane to our commonalities to this man. First Corinthians chapter nine, you're gonna turn there, beginning in verse 19. First Corinthians chapter nine, beginning in verse 19. Listen to how Paul explains this principle. This is Paul speaking. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter nine, verses 19 through 23. Though I am free and belong to no man, I become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings." When what Paul is saying here, Paul is not saying when I'm with people that don't believe in the law, I break the law so I can be like them. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's not saying when I'm with the legalists, I, I become like a legalist and I start being legalistic in my actions and in my talk so that I might win the legalist. No, Paul's not saying that. Paul's saying whenever I'm in a setting with those individuals, I try to find something in which I can relate to them about in order that I might gain a foothold to be a witness for them see paul was looking for ways to build bridges rather than building walls when we discover people's stories we are building bridges when we just go in with our agenda not knowing someone's story we oftentimes just build walls and shut people out for this man it started with baseball then bottled water then lawyer, actually, then him being the lawyer, then Mormonism and, 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 and bottled water. If he had said to me, after I said, yep, I love golf, and, he, and I'd asked him, do you like golf? And he had said, eh, yeah, it's okay, but I, I'm not very good at it. And then he said, but actually, I really like baseball. If I had said, well, that's nice, but I really prefer golf. Probably would have shut things down a little bit. If he had said, well, I work with water, and I say, well, you know, I think that uh, the manufacturing of bottled water is really quite a waste and a harm on our environment, might have shut things down a little bit. I, in fact, actually have an obsession with bottled water and a phobia of tap water, and uh, just so you all know, and so uh, I was quite intrigued by, by his old idea of making bottled water. In fact, I wanted to thank him greatly for that, because I'm, I'm, I'm appreciative of that. But we need to connect with people where they are. And one of the ways you know that you connect with people, when when you respond to something they say, when he said, I like baseball, and I said, oh, man, I love baseball, immediately his demeanor changed. Immediately there there was some light on his face. Look at people's faces when you are talking to them, and you'll be able to know if you found a commonality. You'll be able to know if you found a commonality. See their faces light up. We like talking about the things we enjoy. When Mark said he didn't like mayonnaise, a lot of you scowled and a few of you lit up. We could have, we could have taken a picture and almost known immediately, without anyone raising their hand, who liked mayonnaise and who didn't. And some of you are just stoic and we, you know, we have to pry a little deeper. But look at people's faces. See what they say. When someone says to you, if someone says to you, I really like eating seasoned pork sausage, don't say to them, I don't eat unclean meats according to the Levitical laws of Leviticus chapter 11. You could just say, man, I've never tried that. What do you like about it? I mean, that's a sincere question for me. Really? Really? What do you like about that? You don't have to immediately oppose it. You don't have to immediately oppose it. Remember me with the real estate agents. The husband shared with me how his pastor took Monday as a Sabbath, and I shot it down. Your pastor's wrong. What a stupid decision on my part. I will never, ever get that moment back. Never. I'll never get that moment back. Brothers and sisters, and we can write this down or tweet it or whatever. Young people, you can tweet this. Brothers and sisters, you aren't condoning something simply because you do not condemn it immediately. You are not condoning something simply because you do not condemn it immediately. Remember, do not condemn the practices and the customs until they know that we love Jesus Christ. There's time enough to tell them, you know what, I think if you didn't eat pork sausage, you would probably be happier when you woke up in the morning. I genuinely believe that. I hope you all believe that too. You know, you really like water, sir. I bet if you didn't like pork sausage, that would go a long way. That may be a conversation for down the road, but it doesn't have to be in the immediate. Think about Jesus' first miracle, Think about Jesus' first miracle. When the re- wedding party ran out of wine, Jesus never stood up and said, now let me take this opportunity to, con- to, to, to give you an explanation on, on alcohol. No, he just made them something better. Does this mean that Jesus was condoning drinking? No, it just means he was being sensitive to the situation. He was being sensitive to the situation, which brings us to point three. You will receive high marks with the person sharing their story if you are sensitive to what they're sharing with you. If you are sensitive to what they're sharing with you. I don't mean talking in a whispery voice or or crying, although sometimes a tear is very effective. It can be an effective moment. But I just mean sensitive to what they're sharing. What if I cut my seatmate off when he was railing against the Mormon church? Folks, I lived in Provo, Utah. I have tons of Mormon friends, and man, they are some of the nicest and most gracious and kind people I've ever met. And what if I said, well, you know, the Mormons I know are really great, and, 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 you know, I just don't think you've met the right people. If I cut him off, I'm not being sensitive to, to, to the emotions he's sharing. What if when he was talking about his upbringing as a child, I said, well, your parents were messed up. And I think you need to go back and study for yourself and stop blaming your parents. You're an adult now. Grow up. Put on your big boy pants and let's go. No, we're sensitive to what they're saying. We're listening. We're, we're hearing what they are saying. Sensitive to the moment. And finally, folks, when God is in control, we don't have to worry as much about the indecision. If God says to you, ask this person to make a decision for me, then absolutely, ask them to make a decision for him. But if God says you've done your job, you planted that seed, you planted that seed, someone plants, another person waters, I'll bring the harvest. If God says now is the time to bring the harvest, then bring the harvest. If God says now is the time to water, water. But if God says you planted the seed, then then don't stress about it. Don't stress about it. Let the Holy Spirit work. Simply respond to their story and where they are at. You know, I don't know about this gentleman. Maybe one day I will see him in heaven. I don't know. But I do know that God cares about him as much as he cares about me or any one of you. I do know that God will do everything in his power to reach this man's heart with, with his story, with, with his love. And my job was to simply respond in that moment. I think about that man, and that man said to me, "You ranted, with foul language about Mormonism and about Christianity. And by the end of the flight, the gentleman said to me, if you ever become a pastor in Salt Lake City, let me know and I'll be a member of your church. It's a reminder to us, folks, that people aren't as opposed as sometimes they come across. And if we just take the time to learn their story and to listen to them and then to use their story to relate to them, Jesus' story, then we will be much more effective. I wanna close with a story, and it's a bad story. It's not a good story. We've laughed about some things, but this is a sad story, and it's not something to be laughing at. But I want us to be aware of what can happen when we fail to learn people's stories. I want us to be aware of what can take place when we have an agenda, and we don't take the time to listen Don't take time to hear. Don't take time to learn the stories of others. You see, folks, Jesus had this divine gift that he could know your story without anyone telling it. You don't have that gift. You do not have that gift. I don't have that gift. And so what we have to do is learn people's stories so that we can witness as effectively as Jesus did. As effectively as Jesus did. If we don't, horrible things can happen. When I was in college, I was working in Miami, Florida, in, in the heart of Little Havana, La Iglesia de Central, right in, in Little Havana. And I was working at this church as a, as a, as a, a summer camp, uh, a day camp uh, supervisor, and there was this young boy there, we called him Orlandito, he was Orlando, he was a little 14-year-old guy. And man, his dream was to one day be a pastor. He was a junior counselor in this day camp. And his dream was to one day be a pastor. And even though I was just in a undergrad school, I hadn't even gone through all my theological training yet, he for some reason thought I knew everything about pastor. And this kid followed me all around. And whenever he got a chance, he would ask me questions about the Bible and ask me questions about being a pastor and ask me all kinds of things. And I'm sure I told him all kinds of crazy stuff that I wish I could take back now. Praise God, he's a pastor to this day. And uh, I didn't mess him up too much. But little Orlando was the nicest kid, always smiling, always beaming, kind to everybody, just a huge, huge, enormous heart. One day we were sitting out on the bleachers supervising the kids as they were playing in the courtyard of the church there, and we were supervising these, these, uh, uh, these kids, and Orlando and I were sitting there talking, and this elder walked out of the church, and he walked up, and he approached us, and he began to talk with us, and he was asking us how it was going and, 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 uh, and uh, if we were enjoying our job and that and I was responding to the elder, and I noticed that Orlando was not responding at all. In fact, Orlando, for the first time ever that I had seen, did not have a smile on his face. He looked the other way, and he just ignored the elder. The elder kept talking to me, and eventually he walked away. Well, me being a nosy person that I am, I said, Orlando, what's, what's going on? It's like nothing. I was, said something about, like, I don't like that guy or whatever. It was surprising to me that he muttered this because I'd never heard him say anything bad about anybody, ever. He said, I don't like that guy. I said, well, why? Tell me about it. He's like, it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. So I kept prodding and pushing because, again, I'm nosy and I just want to know things. And uh, and so I was pushing at him and finally he said to me, well, you know, he kind of did something to my brother and it really bothered me. So I said, tell me, tell me, tell me. And eventually he tells me this story. It's a very horrific story Orlando said, when I was six years old and my brother was nine years old, we were in our house with our mom. And my dad came in, he was very angry, he was very upset about something. And he said, he pulled out a gun and he shot my mom. And then he left her there on the floor between my brother and I. And she died. Eventually they caught the dad and he's still in prison to this day. He said to me, we sat there and we, my mom just bled and died in front of us. He said, and my brother got so angry at my mom, I mean, at God. Orlando, on the other hand, he he ran towards God. As a six-year-old boy, all he could think about was I want to see my mom again. I want to see my mom again. And he thought, the only way I'm going to see my mom again is if I go to heaven. So he ran towards God. His brother, though, his nine-year-old brother, ran from God. Wanted nothing to do with God or the things of God. They lived right next door to La Iglesia de Central. They lived just a couple houses away from the church there with their, with their aunt. They lived right there. And every week Orlando would go to church. And he said, and every week I'd invite my brother, come to church with me. Go to Sabbath school with me. Come to church with me. Go to Sabbath school with me. And his brother would never go. Wanted nothing to do with God or anybody associated with God. He said one morning about a year ago, it was about a year or a year and a half before this took place, before uh, we were sitting there on that bench. He said, about a year and a half ago, I said to my brother one morning, please, come to church with me. And he said to my brother, just casually said, okay. He said, I was so shocked and so excited. And so that morning, we got ready for church, and I was so excited, and, and we were walking to church together, and here's my older brother, finally coming to church with me. Orlando's now 13 years old, and his brother's 16 years old. And he said, We walked into the church, and I was so excited. And he said, We were just a couple, just in the, fo- in the lobby area of the church. And he said, And that elder right there walked up to us, and he said to my brother, You need to go home and change, because jeans and a t shirt are not acceptable in God's house. He said, My brother didn't even say anything, he didn't get defensive. He just turned around and walked out. And he says now he wants even less to do with God or the things of God. Folks, that elder is not actually a bad person, although I don't think we should ever say that to anybody, no matter what the situation. But that elder is not actually a bad person. In fact, I don't believe that elder would, if he knew, would mean to hurt that boy. But because he had an agenda And he never took the time to get to know that kid's story. He put a giant wall up between this boy and God. He erected a wall. You think if he had known that when this boy was nine, he watched his father shoot his mom, and he sat next to her as she bled to death on the floor. Do you think he would have said that? If he had known that that his baby brother for seven years had begged him to go to church. And just out of the blue, on this Sabbath morning, he had said, okay, I'll go with you. Do you think he would have said that? No. But folks, sometimes as Christians, we're so in a rush to be right or to get our agenda across that we fail to hear people's stories. And in doing so, we make it impossible or nearly impossible for us to be the ones to communicate the greatest story of all, Jesus and his love. Folks, if we do not take the time to listen to a story and learn a story, we cannot tell the story. I wanna invite you to open your hymns with me to number 457. I love to tell the story, hymn 457.